that time of the year again. Budgets, goals, planning, analysis. It feels like all of these pile on us at once when we start thinking about what our plans and who we want to be and what we want our company to grow into for the year that's to come. But it become really overwhelming really quickly. And with the pace that our digital world has rapidly changed, especially over the last couple of years, the tactics and the tools, and, and more importantly, you need to know which one of these things to steer clear from and steer clear towards. Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I am your host, Blythe Bremley. But on this show, we talk about B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And in today's episode, our first episode back in three weeks, which feels like an eternity for me, but I'm ready to get rolling. So we're going to jump into a bunch of different topics. The first one being former Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, saying why companies should operate independently of their founders. Website and marketing must-haves for 2022 with Kyle McNaught of Freight plus and then everything in logistics tiktoks because it's not a cyberly show without a bunch of tiktoks to show to you guys to just further continue trying to convince you to join the platform and how much fun it is and how it's so different than just i guess the stereotypical uh dancing videos which is what a lot of people think it is it's not and you'll see later on in today's show but the first one that i want to dive into because But the problem with taking three weeks off from a show is that you come back and there's so many things that I want to talk about. So I'm trying to nail it down into just a few of these for this opening segment. So the first ones that I want to kind of jump into is a few different news topics that you might have missed in the world of social media. So the first one that I want to hit on really quick is the ability to add your podcast to your Facebook business page. Now, if you have a podcast already, this is sort of a new opportunity. And I know I kind of harp on Facebook a lot. I think a lot of people harp on Facebook a lot. But the ability to add your podcast to your business page is huge, in my opinion. The oh, There's 3 billion users still on the Facebook platform. And it's one of those things that... If you aren't really active on Facebook, like a lot of other people aren't, there are still people who, especially an older demographic that goes to Facebook every single day, multiple times a day, and they don't really know how to find a podcast, how to subscribe to one, how to download an app in order to engage with one. So what this new connection does is you take your podcast RSS feed, you connect it to your business page, and then you're done. As far as a publisher is concerned, every time you publish a new episode, it automatically publishes over to Facebook and then uh, your audience will be able to see or your Facebook algorithm feed will be able to show your podcast episodes as they're published. And it's just a really cool feature. <clears throat> Excuse me. While you won't be able to see the podcast on the desktop version of the site, it's really, really, it, it looks really good as far as the mobile version of the site. So I had to download the Facebook mobile app for the first time in years in order to see what it looks like. And it looks really, really good. Uh, Facebook launched this about over the summer, but it was uh, there, there were a lot of bugs to begin with. But now it looks like things are operating a little bit smoothly. I don't believe it's opened up globally yet. I think it's just a U.S.-based feature right now. Uh, but so far, so good. Folks can interact with the show. They can like it. They can share it with friends. Um, they can even cut little clips if they wanted to send if it a part of the show that they really resonated with. It, they can cut little clips and send it over in order to increase that shareability. So that's one really cool tool that we saw uh, during the break that I got a chance to experiment with. Um, There's a few other things that I could talk about. Uh, There was a whole study that was conducted by LinkedIn in order to determine what kind of posts perform the best. Hint, it's text-based posts with an image. Those typically perform the best. 
or if you're going to include a link in the post that you're about to share, meaning you found a cool story online and you want to share it to your LinkedIn page or your LinkedIn profile, then what you would do or what is recommended to do is to talk a little bit about what, how you think that that post is interesting and then post that link in the comments. You don't want to post it with your original post because LinkedIn will deprioritize it. I think that's this is something that a lot of people kind of know already, but just in case you're wondering why is it my LinkedIn engagement performing better, it's because LinkedIn treats any links that send people away from the platform, they deprioritize it. So think about that whenever you're you're scheduling your next LinkedIn post is that you probably want to keep it text-based, add it an image for good measure, and if you do want to include a link, just post it in the comments. There is another story from Instagram. They now allow folks to add a link to their stickers in their story. So if you're still messing around on Instagram, posting uh, different stories, then what you can do now, this used to only be available to folks who had 10,000 subscribers or more. Now all profiles and all pages are able to add a link to their stories. So if you think about your Instagram story as a as, as story, then you want to think about it. What's your first clip? What's your ending clip? And what are the clips in the middle that you are going to define that story about? So a singular topic, a singular event, and that's how you want to craft your story. And then at the very end, that's where you want to place the link for folks to learn more. Now, I wouldn't expect a lot of uh, crazy engagement or conversion from that. For the accounts that had 10,000 followers or more, they've been using this feature for a while. And that conversion rate, even with that link or with the ability to add that link, it's still less than 1%. So I wouldn't expect like any crazy things to start happening from Instagram story links. But if you have less than 10,000 followers, which a lot of us do, many of us do, then what you can do is now you can add a link into your stories. Uh, a couple little minor things. YouTube removed the dislike counter so you can still see how many people like a video, but you can't see how many people dislike a video, which I don't, I think is kind of, uh, I, I think it's counterintuitive. Uh, you, for a lot of videos, you want to see right off the bat of, of if a video is going to be worth your time or not. And so with YouTube trying to hide that, you can probably guess that they want to hide or discourage people away from looking at a video, seeing a very high or a subjectively high dis dislike on that video. And then what will happen is you won't watch the video. And so by removing that, they're probably encouraging more users to just focus on the positive and watch the video anyway, which is YouTube's main goal anyways. And final note, TikTok is still the number one social media app for the second year in a row, which basically has every other social media app deeply concerned, which is why they keep copying a lot of the features that TikTok has. Um, so that's one more note. If you haven't had a chance to jump on that platform yet, like I said earlier in the show, it's much more than just dancing videos. There's lots of educational content happening on there. A lot of port workers, uh, crane operators, supply chain drivers, they're all on TikTok and they're sharing really cool content. And that's just something that you should be made aware of. And it you're not going to be posting content. That's one thing, but at least download the app, engage with it and see how the storytelling is evolving to a short form video format. So now final story before we bring in our first guest is I want to talk about Twitter for a second because Jack Dorsey, their longtime CEO has chosen to let leave the company earlier this week. He posted a message on Twitter right after informing all of his employees via email. And one of the more interesting things that I thought that he he wrote in the, the go away email, I guess, the go away or, or I'm going away email, is that he said that ultimately, I believe that 
being founder-led is severely limiting and a single point of failure for most companies. And he said that he has worked hard to ensure that this company, Twitter, can break away from its founding and its founders. And so to me, this reads that Twitter is, he's done with Twitter. And for somebody who is uh, not, I guess, afraid of being in the mud when it comes to content moderation, Jack has really been one of the better CEOs when it comes to social media. Um, he has been, there are decisions that have been made. Uh, banning Trump for life from the platform is a highly controversial move, but in a lot of people's eyes, it was the right move. Now you could fall on either side of that fence. That's I'll leave that opinion up to you. But Jack Dorsey, for the most part, has been sort of a bastion of free speech and allowing that free speech conversation to take place on Twitter. I would make a case and I would make an argument that Twitter is still very much um, an echo chamber and that the majority, the overwhelming majority of tweets that are sent out on the platform uh, tend to lean one side on the political spectrum. And the overwhelming majority of those 10% of people create more than 92% of all tweets on the platform. Um, but it's still a platform that has been around for more than a decade and has really been a, a, a for the most part, a good experience. Now with Jack leaving, there remains to be seen what's going to happen with the platform. But I wanted to circle it back to that comment that he made about being founder-led. Because it's, I think for Twitter's perspective, they don't need to focus on storytelling. And being a founder, it's very important that you can tell a story. For a platform as large as Twitter, they don't have to do that anymore. So for him to say that being founder-led is detrimental to the company, yes, that's true on one extent. But on the other hand, it's very, very important in order to be able to craft not only your story, but the customer story, and then also the company story. And so that's what we're going to dive into right now is if you're a startup and you're looking at the landscape, it's it's sort of you're wondering where to get started when it comes to storytelling, because that is a big piece of how you stand out as a new company trying to gain a foothold in the marketplace and gain some market share. So let's talk about three different ways to tell a story and then how we dive into it from a macro perspective down to a micro perspective. And so for the macro perspective, you want to think of it from the company story point of view, the founder story point of view, and then the customer story. Most people mess up the customer story. It's easy to answer the questions about the company and about the founder because those are all usually internal and you can get those answers very quickly. The customer story, doing customer interviews, talking to your customers on a regular basis, that's where most companies screw up. So it's those three models to keep in mind. And then you want to take that and you want to structure it into what I like to call the KLT method. That's the knowledge method. So the first, the K part of that, uh, I guess, uh, equation is knowledge. And then the L part of that is the what your brand likes. So like and life. So what your brand likes and what brand or what your brand is as far as the life is concerned. Um, and then the last one, the T method is the trust, aka vulnerability. And so when you think about the KLT method, so the knowledge, you want to be able to share 70% of your content should be based on knowledge, what your company knows, what, what your audience can expect to learn from you, what makes you tick, and then how you've learned those insights you're about to teach your customers or help them with. So keeping that in mind, a 70% of your content should be knowledge, 20% should be about your brand, and then 10% should be about trust, aka vulnerability. 
And so how do we take that content from a macro perspective and then move it into the micro? So you're going to want to use this KLT method, which I, I didn't invent, by the way. I have to say this is sort of like a, a marketing thing that's been known for quite some time, but it's just a way to structure. It's a framework to think about your storytelling. And so thinking of it from the macro perspective, then thinking about it from the micro perspective, and it's telling the story each step of the way through a corresponding piece of content. Um, it's not a single piece. It can be multiple pieces, of course, uh, but you you want to tell your stories, you want to tell your secrets, you want to tell the problems that your customers are experiencing, you want to tell your promises, and then you want to make the offer. So five things that you want to think about, your stories, your secrets, your problems, your promises, and the offer. Now, the first two stories and secrets, that's where most companies fail because it's relatively easy. I think it's still a struggle point for a lot of companies to convey the customer problems that they're experiencing, but it's relatively easy to talk about those problems and how you help solve them and your offer. But the stories and the secrets of how you get there is what sets you apart from your competition. So using that KLT method, factoring it into the story, secrets, problems, promises, and offers, that's going to help shape your storytelling into something that's useful for your prospects, for your customers, and then for your company in order to encourage it to grow using the storytelling framework. So once you have those ideas channeled, it then helps your employees with conveying that message through social media. Maybe you're encouraging everyone to post on LinkedIn a few times a week, which you absolutely should be. So it encourages and it gives your employees a framework to work with in order to be creative, get their messaging across as long as they're following that, that macro to micro framework. Now, this is probably the perfect time to bring in our next guest or our first guest. Well, really the only guest that we have for today's show, because we have a lot to dive into. And it's a, we want to get into the website and marketing side of things, because as this time of the year arrives each year, we sort of think about what's going to be happening in the next year. Who do we want to be? Where do we want to go? And that starts with your website and marketing. So answering those tough questions and then conveying that in a digital space. So that's the time of the year that we're, that we're looking to do all of these things. And our next guest, Kyle McNaught of Freight Plus, he's the director of marketing. Let's go ahead and bring Kyle in. Because I know that he is actually uh, experiencing this at this very moment, trying to develop those marketing plans, that website plan uh, for 2022. So welcome in, Kyle. Thanks, Blythe. I mean, you got my last name right. This is amazing days for us, huh? <laughs> you got to come on the show twice and she'll get your last name right. <laughs> that, that's, a little, uh, that, that's a little Easter egg for folks uh, who may not be aware. But Kyle and I, uh, this is he is the first repeat guest on Cyberly, less than a year old. So we've got him back on for the second time. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. But before we get there, I did kind of want to give folks a little bit of a background of how we met. Um, Kyle, what's your take of, of how we met and how uh, our, our, our sports to, to logistics relationship started? You wrote a dope blog, uh, and I was doing production for a live streaming company. Uh, so I was looking for anyone that was willing to talk, but you had a really fun point of view. You, you really, you, you understood the internet more or less, right? You were, you were interneting before kind of everyone else really was doing it. So brought you on for the show and you like Florida state. So for me, that's all that mattered. And then we got to yell do ball to each other. So I kept with that the whole time. <laughs> Well, now I've transitioned. I'm no longer, well, I can't say I'm no longer a Florida State fan, but with Louisville coming into the ACC, now I have to switch my allegiances from Florida State. Yeah, over we stopped to talking for a while. Yeah, we stopped talking <laughs> in 2015 for a while. After that spanking that Lamar Jackson did, I, I, I kind of canceled you for a, a little period of time. You were, you were blocked on Twitter for me. Well, it's, it's been a little, it's, it's been a rough catch since then, but the reason, 
reason for, for, but that was, I, I thought it's, it's really, I, I don't want to say like valuable, but probably valuable for folks to know, you know, how long we go back. Cause this is like back in the internet days. And so constant, like 2007, 2008, like early, early, I don't even think Twitter launched until like 2008. So early, early blogging days and transforming those skills that we learned in sports and entertainment world now into the world of logistics. I just love that story. So if anybody is out there, that's sort of considering maybe a, a, a same career jump that a lot of those skills apply in other industries. Um, speaking oh, of which, speak uh, a lot of those skills the, you're the using today. networking, right? Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. It speaks to the importance of networking. You and I talked like it was, it wasn't like anything. We just kind of kept in touch. Like you were doing cool stuff. I liked it. You would see things I would do. Like I moved a couple of jobs. So we followed each other through our career paths, but that's, that's <laughs> what makes the internet cool. You're in Jacksonville. I'm in Boston. And we still kept for multiple years uh, a connection. Yeah, it's it's it really it's awesome to see that now we kind of like converge on this these industries from sports over to a logistics, and now we're kind of converging on the same pain points because as marketers, I think we're all kind of going through that same thing right now, where we're thinking about what we're going to do for 2022. We're fighting for budget and we're fighting for resources, and then how do we convey what value we're going to be bringing to to our audience and hopefully converting that audience into customers, right? So with what you're currently experiencing right now, you are trying to figure out, you know, a, a, a website relaunch, a new content marketing plan. Why do you feel like right now is the best time to, to tackle those big projects? <laughs> it's because there's no right time. <laughs> it just happens to be the time, right? <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, <laughs> right. Honestly, it's, we, we've pivoted a little bit. We brought on kind of some new solutions. And I mean, I mean, you go to my website and I mean, at the end of the day, when I think of I'm putting myself in the audience's point of view, you're a little confused, uh, at least mm -hmm. to me. Uh, now, I probably live it too much where I'm sitting there looking at it and there's it, like anything, right? You see the 20 million things that are wrong, but you're not really looking big picture, but it definitely is due. That's why really I'm focusing a little bit on the website right now to just come up with a plan. I'm not trying to look to solve everything this month. But try to spend a little more time than just like, okay, the thing's running. That's kind of where I'm at right, right now. But I, I've been tasked to think about it. Uh, to be honest with you, it was interesting when I kind of got in the room with non-marketers, non-digital people where they're like, what's the point of a website? And like when they said that, I was like, I'm like how do I answer that? Like, what do you mean what's the point of a website? How, you need a website. Your website's the yellow pages. Yellow pages don't exist anymore. No one searches that way. But it still was a push that I got a little bit more than I was expecting. It surprised me of like, what's the point of a website? When I really started thinking about it, like, what is the point of a website? That's a really, it's sort of like a theoretical question of, of what's the point of a website. But I mean, uh, we can go, we can just sort of just dive right into because we have these four main topics that we were going to center the discussion around sort of for website and marketing must-haves for, for 2022. And that's a good question to sort of kick this off with is the point of a website in my eyes is to close the sale. And when somebody is, is coming to your site, they're either coming to your site, they're curious of who you are and if you can help them or they're ready to, they already know who you are and they're ready to convert. And so for me, the website is that sale in the process where I can give the information that if somebody is just in the informational seeking phase, then I want them to follow me on social media. I want them to sign up for my email newsletter. But if they're ready to buy because of the, the messaging that I've already put out, or the hard work that I've already done on social media, then they're coming to the website to convert. So to me, the website is the final sort of nail in the coffin for answering the questions that a prospect would have before they become a lead. Does that make sense? 
It does, but it, it's it's interesting when you look at consumer kind of buying habits. Not even consumer. I mean, B two B. Like what what a purchaser is kind of doing. Like I'm finding, especially when I'm doing some research, right? I'm trying to not just be like, oh, I know website and go from there. Like be being pushed. I've been kind of doing some more stuff, and it. it it's interesting of what people say, like only 12%, or sorry, the first thing I saw was like 71% prefer, like people buying prefer to kind of conduct their own research and purchase on their own. I mean, it's, it's a very me first driven audience right now or customer mm-hmm. or prospect. So it, it's something that I, I find interesting because I agree with you, right? At the end of the day, I think converting is my most important metric, but how that's sort of like I want to win the Super Bowl. Well, you know, duh, you want to win the Super Bowl. Every <laughs> NFL team wants to win the Super Bowl, but like, hey, spoiler alert, Jaguars, it's mm. you got to focus on what you're going to win this season. <laughs> Sorry, I hate to throw that blood at you, uh, Jack. <laughs> spoiler alert, Florida State. Uh, you, you just want to be get to a bowl. We didn't accomplish that. Way to go, Mike Norvell. Still believe in you, go Norvell. Uh, but you, you got to. I understand that idea of the lofty goal, but in sort of when you're creating as a marketer, what are you doing? I guess, like, how, how are you making yourself kind of take those steps? How do you kind of build the foundation to continue building to eventually having that powerhouse of a website that, yeah, it's attracting, informing and kind of converting. But what am I doing? What steps am I supposed to do kind of leading up to that? If that makes sense. Yeah. And so, and so I think that that's a great segue to go into our first note because I, I sent over sort of like a pre-show BTS. I sent over like a laundry list of things that I think that a website needs and or website marketing is concerned. And you were like, hold on, let's think about it in four different ways. So we have four different ways to think about this. And the first one that you have on the list is goals. And that sort of ties back to, to what you were insinuating is that you, you want to have a clear goal on the site but how do you get folks to convert? Um, tell me a little bit about what is working for you. And then I'll kind of go into what I think, uh, theorize of, of what I think that uh, some other websites should have. Goal for me right now that's working, at least in terms of getting to convert, is definitely the the content, right? Gated content, stuff behind walls, things that are are interesting and, and sprinkling that out, kind of flywheeling it in a sense where putting out enough of information that they're interested in. If they want to learn more, directing them to the right page to be able to add some stuff. Um, same with kind of newsletters, like adding that information. But it, it's not really leading to, I wish I was saying that I was getting at least even the 1% of conversions that you're supposed to be able to more or less achieve. But um, yeah, it, it, for me, it, it's been the the content that I've been creating. Uh, that's, that's helped me a little bit. Uh, but uh, wanting to make sure that's the right prospect, prospect, make sure my bounce rate isn't insane, make sure that they're understanding and they're staying on the page. Those are goals that I'm, I'm kind of missing out on right now. And I think too, that that's uh, looking at it and we covered this topic in a recent episode, but marketing operations and putting yourself in like sort of that brain of understanding what the sales team is going through, what understanding what the value metrics that the executive team is going after, and then using the your marketing brain and your creative brain in order to figure out what kind of content is going to help that process so that the sales team isn't spinning their wheels on leads that aren't ready to buy yet. And so that the executive team knows that, hey, the podcast is actually an investment and it's not going to be this thing that's going to necessarily send you a hundred leads per month that are going to close automatically. It's an investment in a strategy that 
folks are going to know about you. And then when they're ready to buy in six months, a year from now, maybe two years from now, that they have seen your content so much that they already know what you stand for and that you'll be able to help them so that when they come to your site, they're already ready to convert. And so that's sort of the, the lens that I look through it as because that, like I said earlier, there are two reasons why uh, somebody is usually coming to your site and they're coming to your site to either find out, is this a right fit for me? Or is this per can this person or this business provide me with the information that I'm looking for on a regular basis that isn't you know too spammy, too selly? Is this somebody that I want to connect with and, and ultimately want to follow? Um, so I, I treat it in two different buckets. It's the informational seeking one and that's you want to encourage those social media followers an email list if you have one or even if you don't plan on sending out you know emails just collecting emails because that is one of the few places on the internet that you actually own the content your email your podcast and your website are the only three digital properties online that you actually own and so treating it from that lens and then also treating it from the lens of when you're doing all of the right things and posting to social media with that you know that that messaging in mind that is geared towards your customers when they come to your website hopefully they are ready to buy and they are ready to convert. And so when the sales team reaches out to those folks, then they close at a much higher rate than just trying to grab a list off of Zoom info and seeing if you can just cold email blast a whole bunch of people who have no interest and show no interest in your company. Um, so I kind of look at that in, in two different ways. Is that is that sort of ring true for you or do, are you noticing any any changes? No, no, a lot of it does ring true. I think one thing that's interesting, right, is because, again, we're you're not that powerhouse, right? Like, for the most part, like, hey, we're, we're businesses. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of us. When when you create your podcast and stuff, when you talk about that kind of, hey, I saw what you did, it's never crystal clear. It's always gray, right? It's like you, you maybe, if you're lucky, a lot of times we'll learn that, like, oh, a prospect went to your website, they downloaded this, they interacted with this stuff. Maybe they had a salesperson touch first. Maybe they found you because of a referral. All these things, it, it's how do you measure that is kind of one thing that I also struggle with, uh, especially with mm -hmm. the, going to the executive, like going up and stuff. Like offline was kind of off, right? Like we're, we're networking. I'm trying to handle that, kind of keep our brand, our voice and name out there. But you don't have events as much as you hmm. used to for right now. True. Knock on wood, we're coming back. Uh, but like the walk in the show floor and being like recognized kind of, it, it's not there right now because you, you kind of, it's all happening digitally. It's happening within a space that is more personal. So it doesn't really get to be seen by executives as much as it would. Like it's one of those, how do you qualify that? How do you quantify that? How do you, how do you, provide insights to your, your sales staff, to your, your leaders? How do you, how do you kind of get all that stuff? And it could just be me being a bad marketer. I mean, that's the other <laughs> thing in my head the whole time. I'm like, am I just like crappy at this? Like, do I not understand? I'm like, I can do video like the back of my hand, but I'm like, am I missing how this is an easy way to set up? So for, for me, uh, I, I think that I, I sympathize or I empathize with a lot of what you're going through because for a lot of us, it's a single person marketing team and your, your company is lucky to even have one person dedicated to marketing. A lot of times, especially in my experience, you're handling five different other job titles and then marketing is just kind of there. It's like your thing to do. And most of the time I was given that responsibility because I was the young one in the office who was already on social media. So it was just a, hey, Let's give this to you and you can figure it out. Well, there's also some quantifiable things that, that we can do in order to, to make sure that we're conveying 
the the efforts of our work, right? And so there's this podcast that I listen to that is fantastic. Highly recommend any marketers out there, even in, in sales reps, to go and listen to the State of Demand Gen. Um, it's a podcast by Refine Labs. Chris Walker is the host, and he is brilliant. And he sort of laid this out because. One of these things that I've been doing for a while is adding a field to my website forms. So I add a field to the website forms that says, very simple question, I make it required, how did you hear about us? Talked about it on a recent episode. I got it linked in the show notes in case you wanted to, to check it out or watch it after this show, of course. Um, but asking, how did you hear from us? Putting those on all of your high intent forms on the site. So think of booking a call, um, scheduling a demo, um, things like that. Re somebody reaching out because they want to make a purchase uh, from your, your product or your services. Um, so putting that as a required field on your forms and then also not making it a dropdown because you don't want to lead the person into a decision. You don't want them to just randomly choose from a dropdown menu. Oh, I'm just going to pick YouTube or I'm going to pick Instagram. What you want to do is leave it a free, free text field and so then that way they can just write in wherever they heard from you because that could be, hey, I, I know the CEO or I heard you on X podcast. Oh, I met you, you know, virtual networking in, at this event. Um, so that's been extremely helpful for me. Um, so that's the self-reported so, side of things. <laughs> but how do you, so data wise, how do you pull that out? Right. How do you well, say you that have a, user one says this and user two says this, but it means the same thing. How do you like that natural human language? How, how do you do that? Because that what you're saying is fascinating. Like, to be honest, like all the reading is like, oh, no, you just make it drop down. You don't even make it required. It's quick, quick, quick. And that's the thing. I'm my biggest struggle right now is where do I start with this website? To me, the web form is the most important thing I have on my website. But that's what's in my head right now because of the whole conversion rate, bounce rate. At the end of the day. That is the, did I win the Super Bowl? Well, let me go look. Did I get, how many rings did I have on my hand? Am I Tom Brady up here or am I looking like Blake Bortles? That's what I'm trying to figure <laughs> out. But I guess back to that first thing, how do you, how do you sit there and say, well, this person's saying this, but it means the exact same thing as this. Well, it's two different ways that, that you want to look at it, right? So one of it is self-reported. And so self-reported mm -hmm. is the the kind of tracking because you can, you, any field or any form online should have the ability to export into a CSV file and then, or an mm -hmm. Excel file. And so from there, you can parse the data. Um, if somebody writes down this YouTube video, uh, or maybe they just simply write down Instagram, or maybe they don't write down something super specific, you can still lead those and put those into a, a specific category category. Um, so you can put them into social media, you can put them into a podcast bucket, um, you can put them into uh, podcast booked appearances. So you can label those from your form. So then that way, as a collective, when you're looking at the data over four months or six months, you can notice trends. And so then that tells you from a marketing perspective where you should be spending more of your time and efforts. And it attributes a value to a, a lot of places that frankly just don't show up on an attribution report. If you run a report from HubSpot, if you run a report from Google Analytics, um, a lot of that software will tell you that someone came in, that 90% of your traffic is coming in from organic search. When in reality, maybe they saw an ad on Facebook and they Googled your name. Maybe they saw an Instagram post that you did right, and right. they hate the Instagram browser experience. So they're going to go directly to your website. Um, so that's where the, how did you hear about us? That's where that field make it required. It, you know, a lot of old school marketers will say like, oh, you don't want to add too many additional fields to your form because then they'll, the person isn't going to convert. And it's like, well, 
this is valuable information. If somebody is going to convert already, that field is not going to stop them. Um, so that is one way to look at it. And then another way to look at right. it, which I'm currently testing right now, as far as my data is concerned, is what's called the opportunity source. And that's where I got the idea from the State of Demand Gen podcast, because it's answering what was the path that the, that the buyer took in order to enter pipeline. Um, so in order to check this, you want to check your referral channel, and then you want to check the conversion point. Um, so did they download a piece of content? Uh, did you get this uh, email list off of Zoom and then we cold called them and then we booked a meeting? Uh, did, they, did they ask for a demo? Did they fill out a chat? Things like this are an opportunity source. But if you're looking at the opportunity source, because that's where attribution software is really key. So it'll tell you that information, but matching it up to the self-reported will tell you about it. It'll tell you two things. It'll tell you what are we do, what are the things we're doing to get someone into a buying cycle? And then when they're in the buying cycle, how are the sales teams treating it so that they're the most efficient? So what happens over the last sort of 10, 15 years is that we're downloading these lead, quote unquote, lead lists from Zoom Info or maybe from a conference that you've attended. And so you have all of these contacts and then your sales team is running around in circles and spending months chasing down leads that have shown no buying intent from you. Um, so that's where I think the opportunity source and then the how did you hear about us so then marketing can know what's really driving those conversions. And then once they actually come into the pipeline, then that's where the opportunity source metric comes in because then you know how the sales team is, is acting efficiently. Um, so, so that's, that's sort of the, the two ways that I like to look at it, if that makes sense. So is there a platform that does that though? Is there one that does it good? Like one that doesn't require like a lot of guesswork, a lot of playing with a lot of like getting your hands dirty to be even show that and like something that isn't just like, Hey, I spent 40 something hours reading about this platform. I understand what it's showing me, but when I try to send it to a sales, they're like, what the hell is this gobbledygook? Is there like, is there something you're using that does that well? No, not for me, particularly uh, as far as like compiling it all and just sort of automating it, because I think that that's also where we as Mar and I know a lot of marketers, you know, myself included, don't want to hear this, but some of this is going to have to be manual work, you know, being in the oh. trenches and knowing what you're doing and then how it's conveying as far as people are converting. That's a, that's sometimes that's going to be a manual process, you know, downloading that spreadsheet of how did you hear from hear from us and then sorting that data into, you know, something that makes it a little bit more actionable. Then that helps you understand where you should spend more time and efforts on. So if I'm getting a ton of responses um, from the, the box of how did you hear about us and they're saying TikTok, then I know that as a marketer, I want to invest more time into TikTok, especially if I talk to the sales team and I explain what we're doing and how it works, because I think that that's also a caveat as well, is that there's a big educational gap. It's taken 10 years to teach executives and sales teams about the art of inbound marketing. And now we're kind of switching it on them. But I think if you if you explain it in a way to them that, hey, this is going to actually help you save time and close more deals, then that's where that that's where it makes sense to them, in my opinion. Is that what you've experienced or is it just the educational gap uh, is is uh, is tough? Where, where I've found success is when legitimately someone's like, oh, I watched your video and I think it's awesome. Like that's where and like that. They said that to my executive and that's when they're like, oh, my gosh, wow, the light bulb clicks like. I can talk about why it's so important that everyone in my organization is trying to build their own personal brand on LinkedIn and why it helps us in the long run that their amplification and the reach and all that stuff. But 
at the end of the day, it's it's when a prospect goes, oh, I watched this, I read this, I downloaded this, I listened to this, that the the light bulb clicks on and it only clicks Mm -hmm. on for that one thing. Like, it's not like, oh, wow, let's start putting a little more into this thing. Uh, And it's kind of back to what you're talking about. When you're a one person marketing team, I get get in the trenches and stuff, but how do you find the time to do that, right? I mean, we're not talking one channel. It's not just a one linear thing of like, I can just see this attribution. I can go there. Like, hey, you saw me on social. Okay, well, let me, you found me on TikTok. I got to see when you kind of was, or did most people come because of one particular video? Was I doing something that was unique? Was this a video that was more successful? Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> there's like, Every channel, because then you got to go to your website. I'm downloading my Google Sheets to make sure like, okay, did I see web traffic here? Did I see this stuff? And it's not, it's not like it just aligns. It's not like it just shows up and there's a little red notification of like, hey, there's a pretty cool trend happening like in your CRM or in the places you're measuring. It's it's one of those like, you want to dive deep. You want to be a data scientist, but you're wearing so many hats. You're trying to create, you're trying to do all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I hate to be pessimistic and be like, oh man, this is impossible. But it, it, it gets hard as a one person band. Well, like just you're rocking with what you with yourself and trying to stay current on trends, see what's happening and stuff like that. I mean, it, it all makes sense to me. But at the same time, when it comes to actual uh, doing it, it's like, oh man, how do I, how do I focus? Right. And I, I think too, that's where the power of saying no to certain platforms comes into play. And only focus, you are only a one person team. A lot of marketers out here are only a one person team. I, I have told myself this, that I don't need to be on five different social media platforms. I need to focus on one, maybe two, because you are going to experience burnout. And ultimately, before you, I would make the case that before you even start to begin marketing on social media, that you need to have the conversion set up on your website first, because otherwise you're going to spend a lot of time. You're going to spend a lot of money. You're going to spend a lot of effort on creating content or maybe even advertising. And then if you don't have that pathway to conversion set up on your website, then it's going to be a lot of time lost. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of effort lost, and you're going to experience a lot of frustration. So I would almost niche down Focus on the a couple of different platforms of where your audience is hanging out the most. And then the rest of them, I would just kind of ignore because especially for a platform like Instagram, I'm, I'm struggling with that as well. It's like, I've always had an Instagram. So how do I just sort of say I'm not going to publish there anymore? But from a business case, I have to make a business case for being on that platform. And right now I can't make that case. I will keep the platform active, but I just won't spend my time actively creating content there for me personally. And I, I, you know, I know this isn't the same for a lot of companies. It's LinkedIn and TikTok. That's where it makes the most sense for me. That's where the greatest organic reach is. And that's where my audience is already hanging out. So that's where it makes the most sense for me. But for other folks, it may make more sense to be on LinkedIn and YouTube or just LinkedIn. Um, It may make sense to just publish a podcast and then promote it to LinkedIn. Um, So there are lots of different variables, but I, I would suggest that giving getting the conversion, the pathway to conversion set up on your website first is the most important thing. And then after that, investing the time and the energy into setting up these processes and these systems so that other folks can know that we're doing this marketing for a reason. And the sales team isn't, you know, sort of running around in circles, trying to close on these leads that have no interest in buying from them. And so slowly it's sort of like a brick by brick experience where you're you're trying to condition and train the team that hey if these leads are coming from digital as a marketer you want to make sure that you're sending them the quality leads which it can be frustrating if you're not because then it's like well what am i doing wrong like what can i do better 
Um, but it's also just really drilling at home that, that how did you hear from us? And not just on the website, but also in the sales conversations, training the executive so, team, training the sales team to ask those questions. Yeah, I mean, they're going to call it the LinkedIn and the YouTube. So you're always going to have fun training <laughs> all those people about that. But with, um, I have like 20 other jokes that I was writing down in my head. Uh, but um, if I hear you're right, the pathway to conversion is the, the main one. So like, especially when I start in this new year after the plan goes, really where I should focus a lot of time is that that conversion, making sure that web form makes a lot of sense, but also understand the journey that gets you to the web form. So is that, are you, are you thinking, like you talk about those kind of macro stories and the customer, is that sort of what I should be focusing on? Or what do you think? Like, how, how have you seen success with that? Because to me, so, especially in the B2B, it, there's so many personas. So like, how do I, hmm. I, I know I'm trying to keep value prop top of mind, think benefits, but it's also the benefits to a supply chain manager versus the C-suite versus finance are just so many, there's so many different things they care about and such a different knowledge level. How do I, especially given the fact that, I mean, attention spans are what, eight seconds now? I know mm-hmm. luckily in the B2B, it's about like a minute that they say people are willing to give to you, uh, a little more than a minute. But I mean, and that's, that's the eight seconds is it's continuing to decrease by 88% every year on year. Uh, I guess that's another thing I struggle with. Like I get like the conversion makes sense. Conversion is mm-hmm. the thing I want to focus on, but then how do I, what pathway do I create? Who am I thinking top of mind? You and I talk about this all the time with the video and stuff. It's I'm always, who's my audience? Like, I don't care about me. I don't care about anything. Cause if I'm watching this, I'm watching this because I'm taking time out of my day to watch something. And I feel like it's the same with the website. If I'm going to your website, I took time out of my day to view something. I don't need to read all about how great you are and how great what your solution is and all this stuff. I care about myself, I think. That's kind of what I'm in <laughs> No, my I, I'm thinking, glad you brought you that do. up because I think that that's sort of the, the trend that I'm heading towards is that I have, I redesigned my website earlier this year, but looking at it, right. there's so much information that it's almost information overload. And so for me, my, my website redesign task is to not redesign task, but rework task is to condense it, make it super simple to combat the lower attention spans to make sure that, and, and I, there's a, a quote that I have here um, from Two Bob's podcast, which is another great podcast in, in case you can't tell that I've, I've done a lot of listening and research over the last few weeks on these, on these problems. But they made a note that says, when a prospect steps back and takes a look at your website, what do you want them to know? And so using the website as a tool of communication, we sort of underestimate the website's ability to sell for us. So when a prospect is on your site, they're asking certain questions and we need to make sure that we're answering those instead of the the company bios, the person the the people bios, your team bios, that's all nice and fine. But I think too much we overcomplicate the website when in reality we just need a handful of pages that ultimately convey all of the checkboxes that the prospect is looking for. And so a few of those those notes that the, the Two Bobs podcast mentioned is that there's a whole lot of collection or there's a whole lot of questions that the client needs to answer before making a commitment and before filling out a form. So they're asking, is there a fit for me? And so using your website can be that nail in the coffin for answering that. Is it a fit for me? So the checking the box questions are, have you done this before? Who did you do it for? What's your point of view on how this should be done? What's the fine print? 
So telling the client what the possibilities can be if they work for you, and then also what the failure or the penalties will be if they don't work for you. So conveying those check boxes for when a prospect comes to the site, I think is incredibly important. And it's using your website simplified version as that ultimate conversion tool, if that makes sense. There's a ton of websites that I see that you know are so quick to offer up and sort of like throw up this is all of the things that we do. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it right now as we yeah. speak. These are all right, of the right. things that I can do. But ultimately, it's just answering those few basic questions. Have you done this before? Who did you do it for? And what are the penalties if I don't choose you? You know, it's funny. You, I wrote down literally as a note of like website is website has the ability to sell for us. Like that's mm-hmm. something that was an aha for me because like I think of when I'm trying to explain websites, especially to like the what's the purpose. I'm like, oh, think of it as the, the yellow pages. But like the yellow pages didn't sell. The yellow pages got you to a salesperson. And I think that's one of those like, oh, it's your directory. It's the thing that everyone does. But you're, I, I was missing the idea that this is, I know value prop. I know I'm trying to put out the value proposition. I know I'm trying to explain the benefits and you're going to deal with people. You're going to be battling that battle all the time internally of like, well, you didn't mention that we do this and we do that. And we work really hard on this. But at the end of the day, would the sales staff say that? What would the sales staff really say? How did they kind of get that in that intent kind of going? How do they, they warm up the lead is something I'm trying to think of. I mean, the craziest thing though, like I, I sent you this stat. I know we're kind of just throwing stat ping pong at each other, but like <laughs> I got by Gardner 2020, 2025, 80% of B2B sales interactions will occur in digital channels. Like it is getting crazy of just like, when you really think of that, Compared to, well, what's my website right now? Like if 80%, so uh, eight out of the 10 people that come to my website are going to want to make the interaction there. What is my website doing to help out that? Uh, but like you said, the, the website can be selling. That's sort of something that, I don't know, I wasn't, wasn't really, I, I know it. It's a no brainer when you say it out loud, but it was one of those that kind of was like skipping over a little bit in my head. And I think it's tough, right? Like when you're, you you think of your website as almost like your career history and you, you have a, we all, I mean, I can only speak for myself and my clients, but we have a tendency to over, uh, just overload visitors that are coming to our site or coming to our marketing. Maybe they saw a really cool video clip or they listened to one of your podcasts and they're coming to your site in order to make that connection, make that correlation. And I think that you can do that in a very simplified way four or five pages max. And then that's the main driver of the information that you're giving the user. And then from there, you can build out your landing pages for your supply chain executive, um, for your purchasing manager. Um, You can build out these different landing pages and they can live on the site, but they don't have to have a prominent place on the site. So then that way the sales team is using those landing pages in their marketing. They're using those landing pages from the stories and the problems and the offers and all of those things that we talked about earlier in the show. They're using those in their messaging while they're connecting to the audience. And then, hey, it's here is a landing page with more resources, more information. And then that landing page is geared towards, you know, not necessarily a buyer persona, but a job to be done. Um, we covered it in right. a previous episode of, of how buyer personas or sort of uh, it, it's we're overcomplicating things and as, as attaching demographics to people that it just doesn't 
really matter. It matters what job they're trying to get done. So gearing those landing pages towards those jobs to be done is the is the the most important in my opinion. So simplifying the website and making sure that you're uh, using it as a sales tool, and then having extra pages that are on there that you can use that aren't prominently facing, but then you can also you know, use it as a, a sales resource so that the sales team can send it along, if that makes sense. So we talked about goals. Yeah. We talked about the story. We talked about measurement. Uh, but then also let's jump into tools and let, let's hit on this. Well, actually, we got a few minutes left. So um, we got about seven minutes left to hit on the tools. Of, so no TikToks for today. I'll save that for next week. Um, oh. But for the tools, what are some of the tools that you are, are looking at honing in on for 2022? Are you keeping some? Are you getting rid of some? Yeah. I mean, web forms and gated content is going to be my big stuff. Um, and also, I mean, page optimization, making sure the speed's there, making sure my SEO is good uh, and educating on that. I mean, it's, some of the stuff's there, right? It's kind of no brainer. It's built into a lot of web platforms and web design platforms and stuff. But making sure that uh, the the best practices and what we're trying to achieve based off our SEO keywords is is adhered to, just not just past me. Like I can't be the only person who publishes as we kind of grow our team out as, you, as we bring more people on. I need to kind of make sure that's all documented and SOP'd and sent out. Uh, but definitely, I know chatbots are something that every study says it's it's this huge thing. Pay attention to chatbots, but like how often Did do you Did a chatbot pay for that? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, yep, exactly. Uh, it's I think Clubhouse paid for that. Uh, but uh, basically... I'm aware of what it could mean, right? If I if I do a great job with the content that's pushing out there, if I'm doing a great job uh, attracting the right prospects and stuff, how do I save on the time, especially as a one man band, to one person band, um, to to get the attention that they're seeking? Especially if someone's doing a ton of research, they're trying to understand and like, hey, I have a, I have another question. I'm looking for this type of stuff. Um, chatbots are interesting, but again, it's one of those like, did a chatbot pay? For me for me to say that who knows we'll see my paycheck uh i, I personally hate chatbots <laughs> I, I, I i'll tell you like, i personally hate chatbots i'm just gonna go ahead and just say it right out loud I, I don't i think they're worthless i think uh the biggest problem is that uh you have to have an employee inside the building that's actively logging into the platform or to the chatbot every day because uh, for the most part when people fill out a chatbot nobody is around and so it just gets sent as an email anyways um so to me it's an annoying pop-up it's an unnecessary cost so if i'm building a website for 2022 i'm no chatbots and then you also said something interesting and i don't mean to harp on it um but gated content i'm anti-gated content um that was that was something that i was a big believer in just two years ago now i just give all the information away for free i don't want to add that extra layer of friction for the audience. If they want the information and they're seeking it, then I want to be able to give it to them without them, you know, thinking that they're going to be put into a sales funnel. And then some sales rep is going to reach out when, you know, realistically it's it, the conversion rate for, for somebody to download an ebook, to read the ebook, and then to want to get on a sales call and then actually close is drastically low. It's like less than like 0.3% or some ridiculous stat like that. Um, but I would be right. curious to hear why why you think gated content w- it still works. Well, how the hell do you know who looked at your thing? Like how how are you well, seeing that like this person, I mean if if they're not if they're not at least saying something, how do you, how do you even say this? That it's not just like, oh, I had x thousand of people go to this website. Like I know unique identifiers and things like that I put on, but again, it's one of those like to put out a list to send to the sales staff of here's your warm leads, here's people who've done some stuff. 
that, that's the reason it worked for me. I try to put out as much free. I'm with you. I hate stuff kind of behind the wall. Same time, I, I feel like we're, we're living in the age where you kind of you get it. Like the every everything you're downloading, it's there's a reason it's free. There's a reason it's out there. There's a reason that like a company spent a lot of time doing this type of study and put together this type of information. Uh, it, it wasn't because they really love putting that stuff out. Uh, it's there's a reason behind all that stuff. But I mean, I, I could definitely be wrong. Maybe I'm just becoming curmudgeon in my old age. My knee hurts <laughs> a lot right now, so it could be that. Too. Back hurts. It's getting cold. It's uh, wearing yeah. a long sleeve shirt in Florida. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but all, I, all I my, would my say... Spotify wrap up wasn't anything new. <laughs> it was all old wrong. So I, I was not good. Well, to me, the ultimate measure of conversion for the website is is the, the book a demo, book a call. That is the holy right. grail. And that's where I that's where I focus a lot of my measurement from that moment on. Yes, I want to know, you know, what drivers those are as far as, you know, people coming to the site and ultimately converting. But the holy grail of what the action that I want somebody to take on the site is I want them to book a call with me or I want them to book a demo um, or schedule a call. Uh, so to me, like adding, you know, a calendar feature to the site um, to make that process less friction. So if they've already shown interest in, in what my company has to offer, and then it, I'm using that as an opportunity to book a book a meeting with me immediately. You don't have to wait for me to email you us to go back and forth. If you want to book a meeting with me, you can do so right on my website. So that's what I, I personally prioritize. I give away all the information for free because I want you to ultimately, the goal is to digest that information. And then from there, uh, hopefully you'll, you will think of me before you ever get to Google and try to find a solution to your problem. But real quick, what would be uh, one or two tools uh, that you would want to focus on? Any other tools for 2022? A web form. Uh, unfortunately, my CRM. I'm using Zoho. Uh, they have a. They have good connections with their website. However, their their web form that they have leaves a lot to the design. I mean, I'm more of a creative, right? I'd rather design something, make it look pretty, like make it match kind of what current trends and stuff are, and kind of match our brand guidelines. And theirs is just, oh, it's it's <laughs> due. It's not good. Uh, they kind of just have it as is, and it's oh, gross. So I, I want to figure out how I continue to keep that connection, but make mm -hmm. the web form something that's like, actually, I want to engage with something that doesn't look like, oh my God, what the hell? Who invited this black swan to the party? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that's kind of probably the big thing that it's in my head. It's probably living so rent free in my head right now. It's not, it's not good. Uh, but it's the thing that keeps me up at night. It's like, how do I is the web form. How do I update this? How do I match some stuff? I mean, Yuri gave me that whole like, oh, don't even put a drop down with this thing. So there's, I'm like, crap, I really got to investigate and do some research on what like web form trends are now. So that's wonderful. Thanks for that homework. Polite. <laughs> well, hopefully I have, I've, I've maybe simplified a lot of the things that that you were adding to your plate. So maybe it's just a, you know, it's, it's pruning season. So maybe that that's the approach that you can take uh, with the website moving forward. We got about a minute left. Kyle, where can folks follow more of your work, more freight pluses? work you guys have great content so i definitely want to want to tell folks about that really quick absolutely freightplus.io great place for all our resources tons of uh fun things the thing i know you love the most is our market report it's more contextual it's not like very heavy numbers based uh so really uh taking smes to sit there the subject matter experts talking about what they're hearing what they're seeing, what they understand, looking at data and really trying to provide a context around, okay, well, this is what this means. I mean, I'm looking at a board right now that kind of, we were talking about dedicated rates versus the volume, the the, the retention. There, there's a ton of great things. You just go to freightplus.io, see all the stuff. My two social channels I care about are YouTube and LinkedIn. 
So you talk about only focusing on two. Those are my two. <laughs> Brainplus.io right. uh, on both of them. All right. Appreciate your time, Kyle. It looks like a discussion that we're going to have to continue in the future, but unfortunately we are out of time. So big thanks to Kyle for joining the show for this extended conversation about website and marketing tools to have for 2022 and beyond. My name is Blythe Brumley with digitaldispatch.io. We will be back next week with another episode of Cyberly. We got two more episodes left for 2021 as we head into the new year. Thank you and have a good one.